Hey everyone, welcome to Right in His Sight. This podcast is all about unveiling grace, the gift of righteousness, and really understanding what the good news is. So hey, welcome to episode three, The Prodigal Party. Let's jump into it. You know, what I wanted to do today is really just shine a light on this parable, um, one of the most famous parables and selfishly my favorite parable um, just in the Gospels. And the whole idea behind this podcast is just to share the word through the lens of it's finished, you know, through the lens of the grace of God. And, you know, what we've talked about the past two podcasts, you know, the idea of what is the good news, what is the gospel, and also just the love of God for us and how that transforms our life and our love for others and for him. And so I want to just share the revelations that I've received through those two things being the lens reading the prodigal son. It's a story of grace like none other. It's a story of a son leaving in pride and in rebellion and then coming back to the father thinking that he's nothing to be received with open arms and an embrace. I'm getting ahead of myself, but hey, if you haven't read it, go check it out. If you have, I pray that this podcast will open your eyes to a new level of understanding of the prodigal son. You know, in Timothy Keller's book, The Prodigal God, he references this parable, Luke 15, and he actually says, you know, this, this parable's named wrong. And he says that because it starts out with Jesus saying, here's a story. And the story is a man had two sons. <laughs> so who's the prodigal? Is it the first son, the second son, or maybe the prodigal is even the father, but we'll venture down that road soon. <laughs> let's begin. Let's dive into this. And I pray again that you have a better understanding through the lens of grace of what this parable, what Jesus is trying to say really means. So verse 11 of Luke 15 says, Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth. Let's just stop there for a second. The younger son told his father, I want you to give me what I'm owed through inheritance before you even die. And what this word means, that's crazy. That's crazy. What the son is asking the father to do is essentially die legally for his sake to be able to get all that he has, his portion of the wealth. And the wealth here in the Greek is actually the word bios, which is the life of God, the physical life of God. It is life encompassing everything. It's the essence of how we live, how we move, how we, how we have our being. This word wealth in the Greek is not just money, 
but it's actually the fullness of life itself. It's the physical life that God gives creation to be able to sustain itself. So he's asking the father essentially to die, to give him this wealth prematurely. And what does the father do? The father obliges the son. In verse 13, the son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out and a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to just start feeding the pigs. And so this this young man, the son, became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But nobody gave him anything. Verse 17 says, When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I'm dying of hunger. So he came up with this. He said, This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. So please take me on as a hired servant. So verse 20 says, So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Let's just stop here for a second. We've all heard the story. We've all heard the story of the prodigal son coming home and the father running to him. We see this as a story of repentance, which it is. But I want to take you deeper. Again, I said I want to look at this in the eyes of grace, in the eyes of what God truly means when he says that it is finished and that you are dead but alive in him. What it means to fully receive Christ and die to yourself. So listen, the son has done nothing yet, but come to his senses saying that he is as good as dead. Let's take a few steps back. Listen, the son asked the father to die prematurely for his wealth, the fullness of life, so he could go live in his own pride, in his own ego, wanting nothing to do with the Father. And when he wastes it all, he realizes to himself, I'm dead. I'm starving. I've wasted it all. And I've lost sonship with my Father because I've sinned against him. And so he comes up with this brilliant idea in his head. He said, there's no way that I could ever become a son again because I am dead to my Father. So what I'm going to do is become a hired hand. He goes back home, not even wanting the father, but wanting to simply just hope to God that his father gives him even a little bit of love to just at least hire him. So he returns home to his father. And while he's still a long way off, the father saw him and the father comes running. Again, the son has done nothing but come to his senses that he is good as dead. And he knows that he has nothing left, not even sonship with the Father. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. 
The word embraced in the Greek literally means the father took possession of him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Period. Pause. Full stop. The son had a different speech planned. But he stopped on the second sentence. He had a third sentence, but he stopped short of hire me as your servant. We typically hear that the father interrupted the son, but I believe the son finished his statement. Why do I think that? If you've listened to episode two, you'll understand that love literally casts out fear, number one, and love is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit so that we in turn can understand love and love others. I believe when he received the compassion of the Father running to him, embracing him, taking back possession of his son after all that he's done, after the Father kissed him, I believe repentance happened then. And it was a change of mind in the son from wanting to be a slave, a hired hand, to truly acknowledging death, knowing that there's nothing in and of himself that he could ever work hard enough to do to be accepted by the father. But knowing only when he sat there and received the father's love for him, it changed his mind. He repented from trying to do anything that he could in and of himself to even be a hired hand to simply just receiving the Father's love for him. We've been taught that repentance is an admission of guilt or it's, you know, acknowledging your faults, you know, confessing your sins. But repentance is more of a confession of death. and a receiving of resurrection. Repentance is not, Lord, I'm sorry. That's an apology. Repentance is a change of mind to who you are, to something else. Repentance is a change of mind. It's understanding that we are dead in in and of ourselves, and that we need a savior to resurrect us. And the amazing thing here is that the father died to himself in the beginning of this parable. The father died legally. He said, the inheritance is yours before I'm even dead physically. But the amazing thing about God is that if, if, God, if you want something from God, or if God wants to impart something to you, he has to accomplish it first. And if you, want, if, if you want a resurrected life, or if God wants you to have a resurrected life, he has to die first and resurrect himself. So the father in this parable dies to himself, gives all of his life to his son, and the son goes and throws it away. He wastes it all away. But thank God the father is a more prodigal father than the son. See, the definition of prodigal is having or giving something on a lavish scale. 
spending money or resources freely and recklessly. (laughs) You know, the, the son did spend the father's wealth, the father's life, but he spent it to an end. See, the father here in the story is really the true prodigal. He is lavishing and giving the son this amazing love and grace that is inexhaustible. He is giving him something that literally changes him from the inside out. He is giving him this love, this extravagant grace that changes his mind from being a slave to acknowledging death, to be able to receive life in the father's house. And then the party began. (laughs) Verse 22 says, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. One day I'll go into more detail of what the robe, ring, and sandals mean, but quickly it just means a place of of honor, and it, it means a place of standing who you are in Christ and in the Father. The Father is putting back on the Son's identity and giving him the right to stand in the presence of, of God, the Father. Verse 23 says, And kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead, and now he is alive. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. The prodigal party. The best story in the Bible. <laughs> like we said in the beginning, like Tim Keller was, was referencing, I personally too believe that the parable is named wrong. And not only because it starts out with a father had two sons. But again, what I referenced is that the real prodigal here is the father. It should be called the prodigal father. It's all about the father. It's always been about the father. It always will be about the father. About the father lavishing his love and grace on his son to no end. It's literally a grace never running out, and a love never ending. It's a grace prodigally given by the Father over and over and over. Again, we say the Son spent it all, but the Father spent more. And you know what's amazing? After he gave the inheritance, he divided it between both sons. When the Son came home, the Father had more left over to spend on him. If you don't think that kind of love changes somebody from the inside out, I'm not sure that you've really died yourself yet. And you might be on the side of the older son. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field working. Ah, He was in the field working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on here? Why is there music playing? Why is there a party? What is happening? And why wasn't I told about it? Verse 27, the servant said, your brother is back. 
were celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and would not go in. Pause. Let me just ask you this question because I had to ask it to myself after reading this parable and after understanding the grace of God in my life that's freely given to me and freely received. Ask yourself this question. Have you ever been angry or frustrated when you see God favor somebody that you know is undeserving of it? It might just be because you think you deserve his favor based on what you've done for him. Instead of truly accepting death, dying to yourself, and receiving life in the Father. His father came out and begged him to come inside. Verse 29, but the son replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours comes back after squandering all of your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? The son literally says, I've slaved for you. I've never refused to do a single thing that you've told me to do. And after all I've done, after everything I've done for you, dad, you never even gave me a goat to celebrate my accomplishments with my friends. Listen, the older son never wanted even to celebrate with the father. Celebrating with his dad isn't even in the picture. It's all about himself. It's about his effort and his self-righteousness, what he can do for him. He wants nothing to do with the father's love because it's been there the whole time and he's never experienced it because he refuses to die to himself and he refuses to believe that he can be accepted by the father simply because the father loves him. Verse 31, his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything that I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day because your brother was dead and he has now come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. Listen, the story is all about repentance. It's about the grace of God, rebellion, self-righteousness, death and life. It's, it's got it all. And really, we barely scratched the surface here of this parable, but I wanted to share a few key moments in here, just again, in the lens of grace and how when you look at things through the lens of the finished work, it changes things. It changes your perspective. It shows us how God loves us and gives us his unmerited, undeserved, unending favor and you know how he wants us to receive that and live from the finished work of the cross. Always dying to ourselves so that we can be alive to God in Christ. Galatians 2.20 You know, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I've been crucified. I'm dead. I'm, I'm, my life is no more. That is true repentance. <laughs> Coming to the end of yourself saying, there is no one righteous Lord. Yeah, that's repentance. But thank God, <laughs> there's a new way to be made right with God. Whew. It's through Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection. It's all about his death that brings life. Death that brings freedom and death that allows you to live through another, another that did it all and only asks you to believe this scandalous grace. He asks you to, to believe it so that we can live a life worthy of the call, a life lived through Christ's power that he's given us to sustain us and all that we need in life and godliness. You know, so many people hear this message and this word about the grace and the unending love of God and they make it out to be this, hey, you got to stop preaching that. You got to stop teaching that because it'll give you a license to sin. Listen, we don't need a license to sin. We do it every day before we even knew God. There's no need for a license. You do it or you don't. The love of God works differently than our minds think it does. Our earthly minds say, stop preaching the unending, undeserved favor of God in your life, no matter what, because that'll lead to life of wild parties. No, we're going to live a life of wild parties regardless of the fact. But even in this parable, we see that when the, when, when the son realizes, comes to the end of himself, because we always do and we always will, when we actually accept death, that we are nothing in and of ourselves, we will finally go back to the Father. And when we try to go back to the Father, the Father says, you're not going to take another step toward me. I'm going to run and embrace you and accept you because I love you and that's it. Period. Not because of what you've done, but simply because of how much I love you. And that, again, changes your life receiving that kind of love that we could never even experience here on earth, receiving that love will change your mind to actually now start to live out who God says you are right in his sight. Listen, Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to end religion. The end of striving to be perfect in order to be accepted. And this is the most important part. He didn't do it by getting rid of the holy standard of God, but he did it by accomplishing the holy standard of God through Jesus on the cross so that we could simply receive the finished work and live blamelessly and righteously in the sight of God, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did. He fulfilled religion and started a relationship with his children where he throws parties for the lost being found and the dead coming to life. So listen, throw a party celebrating the prodigal father in your life, lavishing his grace and love on you, spending more on you than you can waste. Love you all. See you soon.